Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week I have a different guest, sometimes a convert, architects, liturgists, parish priests, talking about what God is doing in their life and what they're doing in the world in order to share the Catholic faith and build up our beautiful Catholic Church. Today my guest is a convert from the Southern Baptist religion, a Pentecostalist pastor, and now a full-time lay evangelist for the Catholic Church, Michael Cumby. Mike, welcome to More Christianity. Thank you, Father. Great to be here. You're here with us in Greenville, South Carolina this week on a parish mission. I know you travel across the country leading parish missions with your mixture of music and your message. How did you actually get to that point where God had led you into this particular ministry? Well, it's been an unbelievable journey. I've uh, discerned my vocation to be a pastor, a preacher, teacher, to work in the church in Christianity when I was 14. So I started early knowing that uh, God wanted me for the church. Now, that frame of reference was strictly Protestant Christianity. I had no intention of ever ever becoming Roman Catholic. And this is in the heart of... Heart uh, of the Deep South, Alabama, Alabama. Mississippi, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia. Yep, my, all through the southern states. My father was a aircraft mechanic after he came out of the war and was trained to, to do that. And so wherever there are air bases and planes, that's where we lived and we moved constantly. He even lived in South Carolina for a little while in Columbia. He was not a man of faith, but my mother was very, very, very strong Southern Baptist and raised all the kids there. So we had a great love for Christ and the scripture and church and faith and spiritual things. So I discerned that vocation at 14 and came back to my pastor. He said, great, the way to the pulpit is through the toilet. You start keeping the bathrooms in the church clean and keeping the, <laughs> keeping the church, the, the lawn mowed, the grass cut, which was great. He was trying to teach me, if you want to be the leader, you must be the servant. So right. wonderful initial training. And he let me start a little children's choir for fourth and fifth graders. And I, you know, I was 15. I was a whopping old man, but uh, the little kids, we started working in the church, doing music. One thing led to another, of course, was licensed to preach by the first Baptist church in Foley, Alabama, a little small town down on the coast, just before you get to the beaches of Gulf Shores. And uh, just continued on through that, uh, uh, pastoral theology in college, music ed as a minor, and then went on to seminary and began my ministry after the charismatic renewal changed my Baptist upbringing into mm-hmm. Among the Pentecostals, I started pastoring in those churches, and one thing led to another, got very dissatisfied and got very hungry for the truth and wondered why we're doing what we're doing and began to look at all the different groups and eventually ended up in the Catholic Church. You mentioned about the um, charismatic renewal and the, the change that had for you from the Baptist. A lot of our listeners might be unfamiliar with what you're referring to there. Can you share a little bit more about that? What do you mean by the charismatic renewal, and how did that change what you had in the Southern Baptist? Great point, and I appreciate you asking. Oftentimes, many, many people don't want to talk about that because it can be a little controversial. It was controversial among Protestant Christians, too. The charismatic renewal, of course, the word comes from charism or charisms, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There was a great renewing, Mm -hmm. uh, a new emphasis on the uh, Corinthian gifts listed in in the New Testament after the church was infused with the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. And the early church was very charismatic or very gifted in the laying on of hands. And and, uh, the, the most controversial thing, of course, is the gift of tongues, usually, and interpreting prophecy, healings, miracles, the supernatural that most of the Christians, Protestant or Catholic, really, that was a sleeping giant. That's something we didn't talk about. Only the Pentecostals, the old line across the tracks, uneducated, 
poorer classes of people did those kind of things. In other words, the Holy Rollers. The Holy Rollers. That's exactly right. (laughs) You, as a Southern Baptist, you were trained, therefore, to consider that sort of religion to be a little bit extreme. and very Well, it wasn't Christian. We were told that gift of tongues, and that was demonic, actually. We were told it was of the devil and uh, that God does not do that anymore. Those gifts passed away when the last apostle died. Now, I'm not sure where we got that, but uh, that was the, the thinking among Southern Baptists at the time. Now, that's 30 years ago. That was in 1970. Eight seventy nine. But the Lord worked in your life to open you oh, up to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amazingly worked in my and that's the most dramatic conversion I've ever had. Okay. That experience with the baptism of spirit absolutely put a crack, the first crack in my foundation as a Southern Baptist led to a desire to open my mind to all the different Protestant okay. denominations of it. And that, and as I begin to study Presbyterians and Methodists and Church of Christ and, and Assembly of God, and you know, there are 30-something thousand registered 501c3 Protestant denominations and tributaries off all those things. And it began my search for where did all this come from and why are there so many different forms of the Christian faith? All good people, loving people, Christ-centered people, Christ-centered worship with a great heart for evangelism. But where did all that come from? And that led me to begin all the way back to liturgy as I studied the early church. Absolutely right. So the question has to be when, when faced with tens of thousands of different denominations, either it doesn't matter that there are so many or there must be one strand within all of this which is more true than the others. And so you're saying that search led you on to, well, what was next? My comprehension of all these different major denominations was the Presbyterians might be able to reach a man or a woman for Christ that the Baptists could not. So this was a good thing, that there are so many varieties, so many ways of serving Christ uh, through all the different denominations. They're all Christian. Christ is the center. He is the Savior, born of a virgin. The basic doctrines were the same usually. On the simplest level, God is a God of variety. He uses all these different ways to reach because everybody's different. The truth I found out was none of those groups existed before 1517. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first 1500 years, much to my shock and horror, there was only one church. I did not want that to be true. I did not believe it the first time I heard it, but I was, thank God, had enough integrity that. I'm going to find the truth if it kills me. And as I went back through the early church and began, I never heard of the church fathers when I discovered mm-hmm. their writings, everything they said was Catholic. I thought, you got to be kidding. Somebody slipped in there and made God a Catholic. <laughs> I, had the, I had the same experience coming from a very similar background to yours, of course, an evangelical Christian. I came up through Anglicanism and took that step a lot earlier than you did. But there I was still as an Anglican priest in England going through the same process you were going through and reading the Church Fathers, reading Blessed John Henry Newman, and saying, hang on here, this this sounds Catholic. Here's veneration of the Blessed Mother. Here's veneration prayers to the saints. Here's the Eucharist. Right. Uh, here are all the things that are typically Catholic. And then we looked a bit further and said, well, okay, maybe the Catholics were back there, but where were the Protestants? I couldn't find them. Exactly. And when we did find ones that sounded a little bit Protestant— the church fathers were saying these people were heretics. They were outside the church. <laughs> exactly. It just was so revolutionary. You know, you, you, I'm sure all your listeners understand what a paradigm shift uh-huh. is, the way you see the world, the way you understand what's happening. I know that uh, your listeners know that not all Protestants were raised anti-Catholic, but there's a large segment of evangelical fundamentalism 
we were very much misinformed. We were told that the Catholic Church is a cult, that the Pope is actually the Antichrist will come from the papacy. One day when that figure comes on the scene, it's really the agent of the devil. And Catholic practices are all full of mysticism and the mystery religions of Babylon and Masonic things even and Mormonism and all. The Catholic Church is full of all these strange ungodly practices. That's why they did their services in, a, in another language, well, Latin, we didn't know what they were talking about, so that you wouldn't understand anything going on. And Catholics were not allowed to read the Bible because if they ever read the Bible for themselves, they would see that all those practices are unscriptural and they'd come over and start having altar calls and hallelujah pew jumping meetings like we did. I think, Mike, sometimes our listeners underestimate the huge transition and, as you say, paradigm shift that is required for people like yourself to make this step from Southern Baptist to have a complete reversal of everything you've been taught and to say, it wasn't right. I wasn't right. There's still more to learn. There's still more to discover. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Today, my guest is Catholic evangelist Mike Cumby. I invite you to go and visit his website, mikecumby.org. Cumbie spelled C-U-M-B-I-E. You can go there, learn more about Mike, be in touch, invite him to your parish for a parish mission, learn about his DVDs and CDs, and learn more about his message. Mike, finally, you moved into a new organization called the Charismatic Episcopal Church, uh, right. and you were a pastor there for some years That's right. before the final step to Catholicism. That's right. Very briefly, what was the step then from Charismatic Episcopal into Catholic? What was the final draw? The final draw was we, of course, had to relearn our faith from an Anglican perspective. And although the Anglican communion is not in union with the Holy Father, it was much more Catholic with a small C, if I can qualify that, than what we were doing as evangelicals. I mean, we restored the altar to its proper place. Our belief in Eucharist, which we'd never heard of, I didn't even know, I didn't even, had no concept, never heard of the word sacrament. So we all had to go back to school. You know, we probably could not have made the leap from evangelical Protestantism all the way into Roman Catholic worship in one single bound. It mm-hmm. had to be incremental. And the Charismatic Episcopal Church was a wonderful group of evangelical Protestant charismatics. Mm-hmm. They were evangelical charismatic pastors who pastored non-denominational charismatic churches that discovered liturgy and Eucharist and a longing for structure and order and some kind of authority, some basic structure to be under. We were all without authority. Every every pastor and his wife were the sole authority in their little communion of these non-Catholic ecclesial communities. They really aren't churches. Mm -hmm. There's only one church. We did the best we could with what we had. The Charismatic Episcopal Church and these brothers, we read books together from the beginning. We discovered Eucharist. We discovered apostolic succession and authority and magisterium. And these Catholic terms that were so foreign to us that introduced us into the greater church that really was the one that Jesus founded from the beginning. I was so shocked to discover that. But uh, the Catholic, Kothalau, meaning universally accepted doctrine and practice, and those things believed by all people in all places who ever followed Jesus. And here I was on the outside of that group, even though we were much closer. Now as a priest at the Charismatic Episcopal Church, we still weren't fully Catholic. We're still not in union with Peter. I thought, you know, I'd come to the place in my spiritual journey that I was convinced that Jesus really did turn the church over to Peter, and we still have Peter's successor here, 
And for me to be out of sorts with him or Mm -hmm. not in communion with him or not under the authority of the church leader that Christ turned the church really is to rebel against Jesus himself. And I just my good Southern Baptist training. Thank God for that. uh, That upbringing. I would never do anything knowingly that would would be considered a rebellion against Christ. And so that finally brought us all the way into the church. I want to remind our listeners about a couple of resources they can turn to. My own book, More Christianity, is available from my website, DwightLongenecker.com. More Christianity is an explanation of the Catholic Church to evangelical Christians in a friendly way. Not we're right and you're wrong, but uh, right. what you've got is good and wonderful and biblical, but there's more to it than that. The more to it is what you've just been sharing with me, Mike. The other book is my book, Catholicism Pure and Simple, which starts with very simple arguments for God, builds up to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Church, the sacraments, all put across in a way which avoids theological language and churchy language, and it's a very simple approach to the Catholic faith. So I encourage our listeners to go to my website, DwightLongenecker.com, and go to bookstore and look at those two books, More Christianity and Catholicism, Pure and Simple. Mike, you are now out spreading the gospel, sharing your wonderful gifts in parishes up and down the country, the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I want to talk to you now a little bit about this subject of evangelization. We hear a lot about the new evangelization in the Catholic Church, the new springtime, how Catholics need to get out and evangelize and share the faith. A lot of Catholics are daunted by such an idea. You and I were both brought up as evangelicals. It was part of the wallpaper. It was part of the air we breathed that part of your Christian calling was what we called soul winning and and reaching out and preaching the gospel. Why do you think Catholics are very often so reticent or uncertain and unwilling even to share the gospel? Well, it's a great question, Father, and it, it's a serious, serious thing in the church, especially since the Holy Father has called us all to a new evangelization. What does that mean? What What is evangel? What is evangelion? The good news. That's the heart of evangelical Christianity. The Protestant groups are divided into, into two major groups. They're evangelicals and non-evangelicals. They're what we call social churches when I was mm-hmm. a Southern Baptist who are not soul winners. But Matthew 16, the Great Commission, is the heart of evangelical Christianity. Go into all the world, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So evangelizing is get out from behind the walls of the church, take this amazing gift of eternal life that God has given you through Jesus Christ, and find everybody you can that may not know him and try and introduce them to him. Let's go back a little bit further in history as well to try to understand this question, why are Catholics so reticent about evangelism? Why are they so reluctant? The Catholic Church in the United States is the offspring, the child, if you like, of the Catholic Church in Europe. The Catholics who are here are the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Italian Catholics and Irish Catholics and Polish Catholics and German Catholics and Czech Catholics. And even the Hispanics who are here it's inherited. are the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the Spanish colonialists who went there and evangelized the Native Americans. And they, too, have been brought up in a Catholic culture, in a country where virtually everybody is Catholic, or if they're not Catholic, they understand the Catholic religion's Catholic culture. Well, if you're in a culture where everybody's Catholic, 
There's no need for evangelism. You don't need to evangelize. The way the church evangelizes, therefore, is by baptizing babies and having Catholic schools and bringing them up within Catholic families. It's automatic. So, therefore, it's automatic. And, therefore, an awful lot of Catholics have inherited this assumption that everybody's already Catholic. And the need to evangelize, therefore, is not so imminent upon them. But things have changed, haven't they? Well, let me tell you, when I was still a Protestant pastor Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma 30 years ago, our first little church, our first little community, we just had our first child, had our first church, and I did some work for a Catholic lady. She said, and I talked about evangelizing and what makes you Catholic. I didn't know anything. I had, I wasn't even close to looking at the Catholic. Mm-hmm. She said, well, the truth is uh, anybody that is spiritually intelligent will automatically be Catholic. <laughs> if they thought it through, they would be if Catholic. If they thought it through, they'd be Catholic. <laughs> well, maybe. But I think an awful lot of people still have to have the gospel well, you know, I said, well, I'd like to learn about the, the, yeah. the Catholic Church. She said, oh, it's way too complicated. You would never get it. Well, she's right. It's complex and simple at the same time. But it's simple at the same time because, you know, at the heart of the Catholic faith is the simple Christian gospel that people need to learn that God loves them. The divine mercy is reaching out all the time like a radiant beam from a lighthouse on a darkened night. It's always just searching and searching. And all we need to do is turn to Christ, repent of our sins and say, Jesus, I trust in you. It is. But there's a much greater challenge for especially Catholics who live in the South because we are surrounded, God bless them, by Bible-believing, Bible-quoting, and very Bible-knowledgeable Protestant Christians who just can intimidate the daylights out of a Roman Catholic who may not know that be as familiar with the Scriptures right. as they are. And they've been. we were trained. I trained people how to tear Catholic thinking all to pieces mm-hmm. to get them to convert and get because we thought they were lost. You know, our motive was pure, Father. We Our heart was, we do not want you to go to hell. We don't want anybody to perish. Right. That God came so that everybody might have everlasting life. Let's flip that over then and ask you now, Michael, what are some pointers, or what do you think is the heart of Catholics sharing their faith? Because the way Catholics evangelize and the way Catholics share their faith has to be different from the way a Southern Baptist or or a Protestant does, because the heart of our faith is actually different. It is, but it's so simple. Live your faith in front of everybody. That's not always easy to do. You mean I'm on display all the time? Sure you are, Protestant or Catholic. You're always on display. I used to be a part of a very obnoxious group that would try to shove the gospel down your throat, the the corner street preacher that we still have them in our small town there in Foley, Alabama. The Pentecostals will come with big signs and banners about once a month. Repent, you're going to hell. They're telling everybody how bad they are. And they're shouting all these condemnatory scriptures, trying to scare people out of hell. And I know they're sincere and they think they're doing it right, but it is so obnoxious you will never win anybody to Christ by condemning them and telling they're going to hell. Okay, so you say the way to share your faith is to know the faith and to live the faith. And live the faith. If I see you loving people, all Catholics are so loving, and they don't judge people. One of the great differences for me, coming out of evangelical fundamentalist Christianity, and I don't mean this harsh or ugly or mean-spirited, but we were very, very judgmental. We could tell you right off the bat who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. The Catholics said, oh, my Lord, I'd have to be God to do that. I don't know your heart, but you have to be loving. You have to know your faith. Pray the rosary. Have your statues out. Don't hide your statues when your Protestant friends come over. I have a, a youngest sister who's married to a Baptist preacher in Missouri, and they won't let their kids come into our home by themselves 
because they ask so many questions. We have a picture of the Sistine Chapel, a picture of the Blessed Mother. We've got rosaries hanging here and there. They're drawn to the, just like I was, drawn to the beauty of liturgical worship. Dr. Weber calls it liturgical evangelism. Mm -hmm. A beautiful church, well-built, beautifully furnished, statues of the saints everywhere, but that building itself can convert you. Come to church with us sometime. Can can I say also about living the faith? This, This does not mean going around with a terribly pious expression on your face. Absolutely not. And, and clutching your rosary beads nope. and casting nope. your eyes to heaven like you're in a Renaissance right. painting. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Right. Living your faith does not mean being that. It means being real, being authentic. Loving people. Being to love people, being able to laugh at yourself. That's right. And also being able to forgive and say, hey, I got it wrong. I'm yep. sorry. I'm yep. not perfect. Yep. I messed up. That kind of authentic Christian life, that kind of authentic humanity that's the reason I'm a Catholic. 30 years ago, as a student in Bob Jones University, I went out on a Saturday afternoon and began to do yard work for an old lady. She was a Catholic. I knew she was Catholic because she had that St. Francis in her yard. It turned out her daughter was the mother superior of the poor Clare convent in oh, town. Oh, my word. And this old lady lived in a cabin in the woods, and I just dug ditches for her and planted bushes, and she gave me lunch every Saturday. And eventually, I knew that she loved me. Wow. I knew that she accepted me. she didn't me. preach to you, did she? Not once. She in didn't fact, pass out pamphlets every week you came, She did, did she? not. In fact, 20 years later when I became a Catholic and I, I wrote my first book, which is called The Path to Rome, a book of conversion stories, I dedicated it to her. And by this time she's in a nursing home. I took it to her and I said, here's your book. She said, I'm so glad you've become a Catholic, Dwight. She said, thank you for dedicating the book to me, but we never talked about religion, did we? And I said, no, we didn't need to. Now, that's the kind of living an authentic human life, an authentic Christian life, which radiated something I'd never seen before. And you don't have to be a theologian. No, absolutely not. Now, you do have to know the faith. You get the basic apologetics of which church did Jesus start? Why are you Catholic? Why do you remain Catholic? Because my grandmother was. Well, that might work in the old country, but it won't work here. Mm -hmm. There is so much competition for the hearts and lives and souls of men and women and their minds. But the Catholic Church has the right answer for every single question you have in life. It does. One of the other bits of advice I give to people who are engaging with their evangelical friends and family is to say, don't always be on the defensive. Why don't you ask them a few questions? Ask them simple questions like this. Say, you know, you love your mother, don't you? Yes. And Jesus loved his mother, didn't he? Well, he must have, right? And she loved him, didn't she? Of course. And, um... He says to us, behold your mother, here she is. Why are you so cold-hearted? You evangelicals are normally so accepting of, of God's love and God's goodness and all the wonderful things God has for you. And yet here, where you have a, a wonderful mother to love you in the faith and to be with you and pray for you, you say, no, thank you, Mom, and you, you cast her out. So you can challenge evangelicals in a, in a gentle right. way like that. Right. It wouldn't hurt for you to know why they object to a particular doctrine before you ever get into the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not keep your friends close, keep your enemies even closer. You've got to know the mind of the person when they tell you, I'm a Pentecostal or I'm a Southern Baptist or I'm an apostolic oneness Christian, which is different than all the other groups. They believe in Jesus only, no Trinity, no Father, no Holy Spirit. So you have to know a little bit. You don't have to be an expert. And anytime they ask you something you cannot answer, it's never wrong to say, you know what? I don't know, but I'll find out. We talked about the Great Commission, the Matthew 16 passage being the heart of evangelization. 
You have to get your relationship to God right first, you and him. Then the most important thing in life after that one is taking that message to everybody else, it's evangelizing. The, it's the two commandments, love God, love, and your, love neighbor. your neighbors yourself. And the way you love your neighbors yourself is reaching out and sharing the gospel. Right. The other thing which puts evangelism right at the heart of the gospel is at the heart of the gospel is this call of Jesus Christ to each one of us to be his disciples. Now, remember, he comes to the disciples as they're fishing in their boats And he calls them from their ordinary life, from their ordinary world, to step out on this great adventure. And he doesn't say, come to me and just be my disciple. Come and learn spirituality. Come and learn doctrines. Come and learn the faith. Come and even be saved yourself. He says, come and I will make Make you you fishers fishers of men. men. That's exactly right. (laughs) In other words, a core part of our salvation, of following Jesus Christ, of learning the faith, of worshiping him and walking with him, is becoming fishers of men, sharing the gospel. If we're not doing that, then there is a dimension to our Christian life, our Catholic life, which hasn't yet kicked in. No. It hasn't started yet. They very often say, don't they, that if you want to learn a subject, teach it. Exactly. The same thing with the Christian life. You want to learn how to follow Jesus Christ? You want to learn how to be a better Catholic? Start sharing your faith. Just get in there and share your faith story. And, share and, that, what... and that probably is what hinders so many Catholics is they know they don't know their faith well enough to share it. So they're going to have to go to school, have to do a little homework and have to go to school. Maybe your local parish will offer some apologetics courses. The San Juan seminars, those little very simple apologetics courses are fantastic in the basics of here's what we believe. Here's what the other groups believe. Here's how you answer their questions and objections. And. Even if you can't answer those questions and objections yet, and you're still studying and learning, you can still share what Jesus Christ has done for you. What difference has Jesus Christ made in your life? And I'd say to our listeners, if you can't answer that question, and Jesus Christ hasn't actually changed your life, (laughs) and you haven't had the encounter with Jesus Christ, then that's where you start. That's right. You open your heart to God and you say, Jesus Christ, come and change me and and give me something to talk about because I haven't got it yet. Conversion starts right here inside of me, and it's a never-ending thing. You never stop being converted. Let's give our listeners a few more resources. We encourage you to go to the Catholic Answers website. That's catholic.com. The Catholic Answers website is a huge resource with many, many links to articles, with forums, with answers to all the key questions. Also, through Catholic Answers, you can network through to many different websites of apologists and teachers where you can obtain books and download articles and read blogs and websites. Get interested in your faith. Learn about your faith. Learn how to defend your faith so that you can help to evangelize and share the gospel. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Today, my guest has been Mike Cumby. Mike's a former Pentecostal preacher, and he's now a Catholic evangelist. He travels around America. Invite him to your parish. Come and hear his conversion story and hear his instruction in the faith. It's an inspiring and entertaining and an uplifting talk. Be in touch with him at MikeCumbie.org. That's Cumbie, C-U-M-B-I-E, MikeCumbie.org. Be in touch with Mike. Learn about his DVDs and CDs and the work that he's doing. Also, Father, let me say quickly that if they want a sample of my talks, they can go to YouTube and just type in Mike Cumbie. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening. Mike Cumbie, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Father. My privilege. My privilege. 